This morning's scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 37. And if you're in your Bible, uh, the Bible in the pews, it's page 903. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Good morning. It is good to be together today in the house of the Lord. It's good to see everybody here with us. If you're a guest, we definitely want to welcome you to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. We are striving to be a church that is about our Father's business. And I appreciate Kevin's prayer so much a moment ago about making the very most of the opportunities that we have to do evangelism. We just returned from a stateside campaign in, in Bristol, Tennessee, slash Virginia. And that kind of sounds unusual, but just imagine going to someone's door and saying, uh, excuse me, what state are we in again? Because we had to do that over and over and over again as we gathered contact information for the church there uh, at State Street Church of Christ. And we're thankful for that trip, thankful for that work. It really was an amazing trip. Here's just a few numbers for you. 10,028 doors knocked, 354 contact cards, 41 Bible studies, one restoration, really interesting story. The guy named was Winford. He was baptized 53 years ago. We knocked on his door. He decided he wanted to come back to the Lord. He'd been, been away from him for 53 years. Pretty amazing. Nine baptisms. Wow. Our God is an awesome God. We thank you so much for your prayers here. We thank you for supporting the work. We want to thank especially Mike Kibbe, who works really round the clock all year long. And only God knows how many hours that that guy puts in. We appreciate his work so much. It really is a, a giant undertaking. And what a blessing it is to have deacons at Mount Juliet here who work so selflessly for the kingdom's sake. I'm proud of our teens. With the help of Sandy Smith, they pulled off a VBS while there, all by themselves, and, and 77 people came. I want you to know I, I've never seen a more evangelistic group of teenagers than what we have right here. Um, they were fearless. Someone said the only thing I heard, heard them complain about all week was not being able to go on a home Bible study. So I'm really proud of them, and I know you guys are too, or at least should be. And uh, they really impressed everybody there as well. Finally, let's all be prayerful for the church at State Street. We left behind a ton of work for them to do, but we also left behind a, a Greg Prince to help them with the workload. So again, let's be praying for the Lord to continue to be at work in Bristol. David Shannon's still at the beach today, right? 
Now he gets, he, I know it seems like he's gone sometimes like all over the place and he is sometimes all over the place, but uh, this is actually part of his vacation. I think he takes maybe one a year and uh, his family is, is together today in Mount Nebo. And so we're thankful uh, for that family. I know that, that everybody here is. We appreciate David's work so much. What a blessing it is to work alongside of a guy like David. And uh, thank you again for all the prayers that you've issued up on his behalf and for the church here and for those who've been doing mission work. And speaking of mission work, this coming Wednesday night, Philip Slate, who is an expert in all things missions uh, among the churches of Christ, is going to be addressing how to maximize short-term mission trips this Wednesday night in the fellowship room. Anyone who's interested anyone who's interested in hearing this kind of subject as well as as similar topics of concern with missions are invited to that special session of summer faith and also on wednesday night our own ben dennis will be speaking in here in the auditorium on first corinthians so that'll be a treat as well i've been doing a lot of thinking a lot of thinking And I hope that what I'm about to say doesn't discredit everything else that I'm going to say this morning. I hope you'll at least hear me out with an open mind. But I know, I know that the things in this book are impossible. There is no way that the things we read about in this book could take place. Fairy tale, a lie, too incredible, too outrageous. I mean, a worldwide flood, get real. I mean, we've seen floods that maybe flood a city, but a worldwide flood, I mean, let's be realistic here. And while we're on the subject, a man who decides to build a boat and put every kind of animal species, two of them, a male and a female, every kind of animal species into a boat, are you kidding me? Ridiculous. Impossible. A virgin birth? Seriously? You really believe that that could take place? Or a man who called himself the Son of God could raise himself up from the dead? Outrageous. Impossible. We know that the things in this book are just unrealistic. They couldn't take place. Honestly. The waters of the Red Sea parted down the middle to stand up on either side. Have you ever seen water stand up like that? You know that the things in this book are impossible, right? Even science disproves them. Just too incredible. There's no way that these things could have ever happened. The story of the Bible is impossible. It's a collection of impossible stories. There is no way that this book could be true, period. Unless, unless the one who wrote this book is someone who specializes in the impossible. Unless the author of this book is someone who loves taking the impossible and making them possible. If they're really is a main character of this book who can imagine the unimaginable 
who can change the unchangeable, who can love the unlovable, who can search the unsearchable, who can fathom the unfathomable, who can forgive the unforgivable, who can give aim to the aimless, who can give hope to the hopeless, who can give rest to the restless, who can bring everything from nothingness, who can restore sight to the blind, who can shine a light in the darkness, who can offer freedom to the captives, who can exalt the humble, and who can bring low the prideful. If that's the one who wrote this story, well that's different if there really is a God who can do anything then it changes everything and if that God who can do anything wrote us a book well that book is everything oh good he was only joking I thought Pat Hackney was going to tackle him <laughs> me too thank you for not Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, pause here. Here's an angel. The angel's name is Gabriel. God sends him on a special mission. He's going to a specific place to visit a specific young lady, one who is pure and one who is engaged to a specific man who belongs to a specific bloodline, the lineage of David. And now Gabriel is going to give a specific message. Verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Have you ever been in a situation before where you've been called out by someone who's a little bit bigger and a little bit badder than you are? I was in, I was in West Tennessee I was getting my oil changed. It was one of those small cities in West Tennessee where you would only stop if you really, really needed to stop. And I really, really needed to stop. I'd put off this oil change and I knew it was time to get it done. So I stopped and I got my oil changed and I had to leave my car there. He said it would take just a few minutes. So I'm walking around in this small town and I think there's at least a Walgreens there. So I'm walking kind of towards in the direction of the Walgreens when a police car pulls up beside me. Here I am carless walking along the side of the road police car stops I think maybe it's one of those small towns where I can just kind of wave and go about my business so I kind of wave and go about my business but he continues to kind of come up beside me and so I, I acknowledge and I wave again and and he rolls down his window I say hello he says hey I'm gonna need to see some ID what okay I, I mean I thought I could you know is it committing a crime to walk on the side of the road maybe this is one of those small towns where they still have those strange laws, you know, like it's illegal to walk on the side of the road at 3 p.m. on a Friday. You ever heard of those laws before? Well, anyway, I was walking and, uh, and, and he says, I need to see some ID. And, and so I, I thought about, you know, maybe asking more questions. But instead of asking questions, I just kind of did what I was told. And I said, okay, here you go. And I handed him my wallet. So here I am, carless, now walletless, talking to this officer in this small town. And he stood there, and, or he sat there in his car, and I stood there. I said, is everything okay? Didn't answer. Hands me back my license. 
He says, you're free to go. You matched perfectly the description of a missing person. Blue jeans, blue t-shirt. Have a good day. Whoa, weird. I wasn't a missing person. I was just a carless person on the side of the road. But um, you ever been called out by someone a little bit bigger, a little bit badder than you? Maybe you were in a position where you didn't know exactly what for, but for some reason you thought you maybe did something wrong or you were in some kind of trouble. If you've been in that kind of position, then you can identify with Mary here a little bit. Here's an angel of the Lord in verse 29 where it says, He gave Mary a feeling of terror when she saw him and when she heard him. Then at the end of the verse, she wondered what kind of greeting this was. Is this, is this a hallmark greeting? Is this a singing telegram? Is, is, am I about to be under arrest? What's going on here? Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let me ask you to, to kind of forget this story for a minute. Forget that you know how this pans out. Forget that you know who Jesus is. Forget that you know what else the angel is going to say to Mary. And let's just pretend for just a moment that you're sitting there with Mary while this is being said. Or maybe you can put yourself in the shoes of Mary. Look back in verse 31. Here's all you know. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. If you can imagine being Mary and hearing that for the first time, that really doesn't sound that unusual. Okay, eventually I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to name him Jesus. I can roll with that. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Okay, that sounds important. So you're saying that he's going to be a king. Verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, this, this child of mine is starting to sound very, very important. This is kind of sounding better and better. Notice up to this point though, that Gabriel hasn't really said much about the how. He isn't talking about how this is all going to take place. He's just said a lot about the what. In other words, what this child is going to do and what this child is going to become. And that's when it kind of dawns on Mary. Wait, hey, wait a minute. Mary says, I I've, I've got a question about the what. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Mary says, let's go back to that part about conceiving a baby in my womb. I'm a virgin, so how's that going to take place? Don't skip over the beautiful words of God and his response here. Yes, this is the angel Gabriel speaking, but really this is the angel delivering a message to Mary from God. This is beautiful. Every line of what we're about to read is so powerful. Let's look at the first phrase. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Remember Mary's question, how am I going to have a baby? How's this going to work? I've never known a man. God says, hey, I got you covered. 
I'm sending you my Holy Spirit. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit is also called the Comforter. Think about the, the calming effect that the Spirit must have played, must have, must have had in Mary's life and how you, huge that role would be for her. God says, I'm sending you my Spirit. And it's so cool to think about in this way, but that same Spirit that empowered people to do miraculous things was the Spirit that came and rested upon Mary. And whenever individuals would have the courage and the faith to follow God's lead, the Spirit would take care of all the rest. God says, Mary, leave the details. Leave the impossible stuff to me. I specialize in it. You just stay committed to your faith and to your betrothed. Listen, when God says to you, I'm with you. That's all you need to know. That's it. It reminds me of, of Jesus when he gave his great commission to the apostles. The great mission that he gave to them. Maybe Mary felt overwhelmed at times when she was talking to the angel. But imagine the feeling the apostles must have felt when Jesus spoke these words to him, to them. Maybe you've never considered these words to be overwhelming. But imagine, them, imagine hearing them as an apostle for the first time. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You want to talk about overwhelming statements. Go make disciples of all nations. Wait, you, you, really, you want us to make disciples? Lord, with all due respect, we, we can teach people how to fish, but we're not really at a point. We're not really ready, are we, to teach people about discipleship? We're not very good disciples. You of all people should know that. You know how on the, the night that you were betrayed, we all ran and we forsook you and we all threw in the towel and you want us to go make disciples. And how do you mean all nations? Because Lord, I gotta be honest, my Portuguese is pretty weak. And I haven't exactly been studying that Rosetta Stone software that I convinced myself I would use. Lord, you want us to go make disciples of people that we can't even speak their language? And when you say all nations, do you really mean all nations, even the scary ones? Because there's a lot of unsafe countries out there. And when you say that you want us to teach them to observe all the things that you've commanded us, what exactly do you mean by all? Should I have been recording those sessions? Can I borrow your notes, Jesus? Because you taught us a lot of stuff, Lord. I, I don't even, we don't even know where to start. How's this for a closing line in the Great Commission? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, God doesn't spell out all the details of how Mary's pregnancy is going to work. God doesn't spell out all the details to his apostles saying, here's exactly how the Holy Spirit is going to do the work for you. He doesn't have to. What he told Mary, what he told them, and what he tells us is I'm with you. I'm with you. God doesn't explain to us every single way that the Spirit will work. He doesn't tell us how everything's going to go down. And you'll find in God's word that time and time again, more often than not, God doesn't bother explaining the how of his plans. He just explains the who of his plans. I'm going to do this and you're coming with me. Listen.
We don't have to know every single detail about God's plans in order to follow Him. He's told us everything we need to know. He's with us. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's in control of the situation, so don't worry about messing up His plans. You can't mess them up. They're His plans. We don't need to worry about understanding how God works. We just need to understand God works. Let's go back to Luke 135. Let's look at what the angel says next to Mary. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. You know what it means to be overshadowed? Let me show you. This is a video of a guy who is, uh, who is dunking. He's 5'8". He's, he's dunking a basketball. That's impressive. That's a guy who's two inches shorter than me. Normally, a guy like that would catch people's attention. A really short athletic guy who can jump like that, I mean, who can play ball like that, people notice. Do you recognize him? How about the other guy in the video? The guy who's dunking the basketball, his name is Larry Jordan, Michael Jordan's younger brother. Now you know what it means to be overshadowed, right? Why have you heard of him? Well, it's because he was overshadowed by his brother's abilities. To be overshadowed means to outshine or outdo, to surpass or eclipse. The angel says to Mary, God's power will overshadow you. God's going to outshine you. I'm not going to dwell on this point, but when you read this portion of the verse and when you consider everything that we know about Mary's spirit and Mary's person, I think Mary would be very upset if she knew that she was an object of worship today. It was never God's plan for Mary to be on his level. Notice that, that God didn't say, I'm going to raise you up so that all people will see how great that you are. God says, I'm using you because you're my humble servant who will show others how great that I am. It was God's plan for her to be overshadowed by his power, not for her to be exalted by his power or for her to overshadow others by giving her divine power. Maybe there's someone in here this morning who needs to really listen and really hear God's message to Mary when he says the power of the highest will overshadow you. Stop worrying about greatness so much. Stop being concerned with your name. Stop worrying about making a name for yourself. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be, quote, spectacular. You don't have to be a celebrity. Why not? Well, because those things belong to God. He is great. He's made a name for himself, the name above all names. He is flashy. He is spectacular. He is the celebrity. We can't outwork God. We got to stop trying so hard. Mary, don't worry. Don't worry about being something you're not. I will overshadow you. Christian, stop worrying about being something you're not. I will overshadow you. Quit trying to work yourself into heaven. My power will overshadow you. Stop being so concerned with what everybody else thinks. My power will overshadow you. All we have to do is let God outshine us. Let him be spectacular. Let him be the God of the impossible. Let him show off. Let him do what only he can do. That's the role of the servant. You're not the master. You just serve him. Don't worry about getting the glory. 
It doesn't belong to you anyway. Finally, there's one last piece of important information that Gabriel hasn't yet shared with Mary. You need to see this. This would be important if you were Mary. Verse 35. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. God says, oh Mary, and one more thing. One more thing about this child that you might want to know. This is going to be my son. He will be called the Son of God. Wow. Can you imagine the gravity of that kind of statement? Can you imagine how those words must have rung in her ears? This baby wasn't just any baby. The Son of God. Not just a king, not just a descendant of David, the son of God. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Gabriel continues. Verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing, for God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. How awesome would it be? to hear this sentence straight out of the mouth of one of God's angels. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You get the feeling that Gabriel has witnessed a lot of spectacular things in his angel career, don't you? Probably more things than any of us could ever imagine. Gabriel says, take my word for it, Mary. With God, nothing will be impossible. You don't know him like I know him. You don't see him like I get to see him. You don't, you're not able to watch him like I'm able to watch him. You've never seen him work like I have. And I'm telling you, with God, nothing, and I said nothing because I mean nothing, nothing will be impossible. And I love this. You ever noticed how women seem to bond in their pregnancies? Hey, I'm pregnant, you're pregnant, we should be friends. <laughs> Gabriel says, God, God's going to give you uh, your relative, Elizabeth, a son. You should look her up. You're not supposed to be having a baby. She's not supposed to ha be having a baby. So y'all get together and discuss. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Remember Gideon's response when God told him the great plans he had for him? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You want me to do what? Okay, prove it. Here's a fleece. How refreshing is Mary's response? Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. How refreshing when his people have his peace whatever his plans may be. Do you know people like that? Well, this might happen, and this could happen, which means then that might happen, but God's will be done. Let it be. He knows what he's doing, and I don't. He's the God of the impossible. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was ho hovering over the face of the waters. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river. 
Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. But the men who gone up with them said, We're not able to go up against these people, for they're stronger than we are. So Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. There's a boy here with five loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. For nothing will be impossible with God. God says, let there be light. God says, here's Isaac, the child of promise. God says, hey, Pharaoh, you missed one. Here's a Hebrew baby boy. His name is Moses. I'm going to let him live in your house and eat your food and get to know all your friends and family. And then he's going to set your slaves free. God says, hey, Moses, you're worrying about them trusting you. Check this out. Put down your staff and it becomes a snake. Put your hand inside your cloak and he's got leprosy. God says, any questions? God says, okay, Israelites, you have it your way. Since it's so impossible, you won't go to the promised land. I'll get back to doing the impossible when the next generation of sick, is sick of living in the wilderness and is ready to live in the land that I promised I'd give to him. God says, Elijah, my plans are bigger than you. Here are 7,000 people who've not bowed down to Baal. God says, I'll see your loaves and fish happy meal and I'll raise you an all-you-can-eat buffet. God says, oh, you'll believe him if he comes down from the cross to save himself. I got one better. How about instead of coming down off the cross, he comes out of the grave? And one final passage, and we'll wrap things up this morning. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that, the, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And by the way, it's like the apostles stopped listening right there. They don't hear the rest of the sentence and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. God, I, I know what the Bible says, but, but you don't understand who my friends are. You don't understand how far gone that they are. You don't understand how much they'll laugh at me if I talk to them about you or if I invite them to church. They'll never follow you, Lord. Jesus, there's just no way, there's just no way that I can stay pure until I get married. You didn't have to deal with all these temptations like I have to deal with today. It's just not possible for me to stay pure. Lord, my marriage is doomed. I just pray that you'll help us to be civil around the kids. Help us not kill each other because my spouse is beyond help. Lord, there's no one out there for me. I'm just going to be single forever. There's nobody at church for me to date. It's impossible. Lord, I just can't get my kids to respect me. It's impossible to discipline them. Lord, I would share my faith with my coworker, but I just can't because it's out of my comfort zone and I just don't know what to say. Lord, I want to become a Christian and follow you, but I can't. My family will disown me. Lord, 
I guess I'm just going to struggle with this sin and with this addiction forever. There's no hope. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It might sound harsh, but I wonder, would Jesus call any of us Satan because of how ungodly that our mindsets are? How much we discount the God who makes all things possible? You know, you know that every time in the Bible that we see the word never, every time that a situation becomes seemingly impossible, it's really God setting the stage for himself. It's like him doing his pregame stretches. It's like he looks down from heaven and says, is it impossible yet? Perfect. You guys might want to watch. It's exactly how so many of the great Bible stories begin. Here's an impossible situation. And here's God. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary says, Let it be. I'm your servant. May we all learn to be comfortable with the word impossible, because it just might be God's favorite word. Maybe you've thought about becoming a Christian, but somewhere along the line you've started to believe that it was impossible for God to forgive you. Listen, there's nothing impossible for God. If he has the power to raise the dead, then I guarantee you he's got the power to forgive your sins. If you'd like to become a Christian this morning, God's made it possible for us to be with him in heaven. You could come, you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or maybe you've wandered away from God and you've lost your way and you think it's, it's impossible for me to, to get back where I need to be. Well, God offers you forgiveness as well. If we can help you in any way,